We acknowledge the Gadigal people, who are the traditional owners of the country on which we record, and honour their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay our respect to their elders, past and present. There was a lot happening at the time, a couple of sales happening, a purchase happening. During the course of the day, I was, you know, going back and forth from like conveyances, uh, brokers, all those kind of things that you need to do to get the, uh, get the deals done. This is Sanjay Joseph. Earlier this year, while he was in the middle of buying a property, he received an email from his conveyancer. That's someone who's qualified to provide information and advice when you're buying a property. It had all the correct details in terms of the dates, the amounts, the times, the names, everything. Uh, So I didn't even think anything of it when I received it. The email asked Sanjay to transfer just under $100,000. Because it all added up, he didn't think twice about it. A few days later, he mentioned the transaction to his conveyancer. Uh, I said to her, oh, by the way, you should have received my deposit and the amount that we need for the purchase. And she said, where did you send that? And that was when everything became evident. And I said to her, I sent it to the account that you nominated in the email. And then she said to me, I didn't email you an account. Um, So it was then that we realised that something had happened. And uh, yeah, I won't forget the moment where there was a pause on the phone and she said, I think you've been scammed. Welcome to Hackable Me podcast that takes you deep into the world of cybercrime and data security. I'm Katie Finlayson. During the last two episodes, we've looked at the cost to a criminal to launch a cyber attack and the cost of an attack on a business. In this episode, we're talking about the cost to everyday people. We'll also tell you how to better protect yourself from cyber attacks. With more and more people falling victim to cyber criminals, Sanjay who almost lost $100,000, isn't alone. When it comes to email scams like the one Sanjay fell victim to, there's a general belief that it should be easy to spot a fake. Everybody's probably received an email that was clearly a scam, using oddly formal language like referring to you as sir or madam, but it's getting a lot harder to spot a fake email. They spoke very much the same way as my conveyancer did. And I think perhaps because they were getting the emails from the other side's conveyancer, they were able to, I think, look at the emails that were previously sent and say, okay, this is the language she uses. And they very much replicated that. The impact of cybercrime isn't just monetary. It can affect your work, your personal relationships, and your mental health. In the days that followed the attack, Sanjay found himself struggling. You know what? It was it was extremely stressful, um, particularly in the first few days. It's it's disbelief more than anything. But as well, I found it extremely difficult to sleep in the first you know couple of weeks. Just thinking about not only the emotional side of things that someone had done this to me, but as well in terms of you know how do I recover to make sure that I can you know settle this property and how am I going to you know manage things in the next 12 to 24 months whilst I try to, you know, build build some buffer back up. I even noticed probably for the first time tightness in my chest at times when I would start thinking about it a lot. Uh, so yeah, it had, a, it had a big mental effect on me and as well a somewhat a physical effect too because I, yeah, I found myself less energetic. I'm typically someone who 
you know, gets out to the gym maybe twice a day, sometimes more, doing various things throughout different times of the day, but I just had no energy to do it. I just didn't really care about that at that time. But while Sanjay languished for months, he refused to give up on finding out what had happened. When he first realised something was wrong, he reported the attack to the police and his bank tried to freeze the funds before the money could be sent anywhere. Unfortunately, that wasn't done and the funds had already been sent overseas, turned into crypto, sent to various other accounts in the country. The police, the bank and Sanjay couldn't piece together who had taken his money or where it had been sent. Every lead they chased turned up cold. Trying to figure out where a cyber attack originates from is extremely difficult. Accounts are opened and then closed, money is moved around quickly and often sent overseas. Cyber criminals know what they're doing. More often than not, police struggle to find leads. And even if they do, the crime generally occurs across the globe creating a web of data so intricate it's almost impossible for police to detangle. And that requires cooperation in all of those jurisdictions who have very different laws, whose law enforcement is completely unmotivated to help you because the victims are somewhere else. Dr Alana Murashat is a professor of cybersecurity and behaviour at Western Sydney University. The points of attack are coming through different countries and the perpetrators are located in another jurisdiction altogether. And then, on top of it all, the money laundering is going through so many points, it's not easy. It's actually really hard to prosecute and investigate these types of things. Because the cyber attackers and their techniques are becoming more and more sophisticated, as we learned about in episode one, too often these stories end with the victim never finding their money. But Sanjay was persistent. I was told by my conveyances, by the police, by the banks, um, as soon as I reported it to each of them, cut off communications immediately with the scammer. For whatever reason, I decided not to do that. He figured at this point, the cyber criminals didn't know that he knew. So he decided to see if further communication would lead to any clues. Uh, so I, I kind of kept going in the back and forth with them. They were aware, obviously, when the settlement was meant to be and wanted to get more money. So they had said to me, okay, settlement's due two Mondays from now, we will email you shortly before with the final amount due and the final account that you need to transfer to. Uh, So I thought, okay, I'll keep the dialogue going. In the meantime, Sanjay was still in the process of buying the property. He called his conveyancer and asked them to send over a settlement sheet so he could see the various amounts of money he would need to send. 10 minutes after making that call, the cyber criminals sent Sanjay what he requested. So they hadn't been on the phone call to my conveyancer, obviously, but yet were sending me what I'd asked for on the phone. So it was then I realised that they were still looped in, but I called my conveyancer. I said to her, I asked you for for a settlement sheet about half an hour ago. About 10 minutes ago, the scammer sent me a settlement sheet. And she said to me then, wait, can you send that to me so I could take a look at it? I sent it to her and she said, this is the exact settlement sheet that I just sent to the other side's conveyancer about 15 minutes before. So that turned out to be the lead that helped. We knew then there was only one link that was compromised and that was the other side's conveyancer. So that was the moment that we realised it's not me, it's not my conveyancer, there's only one other party it could be. 
With this proof, Sanjay approached the seller's conveyancer and explained his theory that it was them who had been breached. A quick investigation proved Sanjay's theory and they agreed to pay Sanjay the money he had lost. Uh, so once that had happened, um, that basically entitled me to yeah, compensation as a victim of a cyber breach. But I think they were very thankful that they were insured at that time. <laughs> the number of cyber attacks or scams aimed at Australians has risen dramatically over the past few years. According to the ACCC's Targeting Scams report, scams cost Australians $323.7 million in 2021. Alana says one of the most common ways these attacks are carried out is through ransomware which we've spoken about in previous episodes. And it's also called cyber extortion. And ransomware is literally exactly how it sounds. There's an, an algorithm running on a device that prevents you from accessing either your data or your systems or something within there. And they don't give you access back to your data and your systems until you pay a certain amount of money. And typically the money is paid out in a cryptocurrency. Generally, what happens is a person or a business will receive a ransom message from the criminals. It'll say something like, we've got all your files, give us X amount of money, or we'll delete them, which can obviously be devastating. Our data has become crucial to many of our lives. It's integral to our businesses, our jobs, our day-to-day -day life, and criminals know this. And a lot of the time, if someone is able to, they'll pay the ransom. I don't have a magic ball. But with COVID, there's a lot of people at home. Um, there's a lot of people that have lost their jobs. There's a lot of people looking for new opportunities. And there's a whole lot of people spending a heck of a lot more time online, which means that it makes it ripe for any kind of cybercrime. Overnight, we had hundreds of millions of people, if not billion people, have to start working from home during lockdown. But their systems at home are not as secure as the systems that they utilize when they're within their organization. But it took a long time for organizations to figure out how to do security, right? Cybersecurity when everybody's working from home. And many organizations still haven't figured out how to do that. And so all of a sudden you had millions upon millions of less secure devices connected and a much easier target pathway for cyber criminals to get in. It's also common to get caught up in a supply chain attack, which is what Sanjay experienced. He was part of a domino effect where one company was compromised and he became a victim in the process. So what's being done to protect people and businesses? Alana says a big problem is the lack of awareness of these kind of attacks within companies. It's not uncommon to walk into a meeting and have the CEO and the board of directors of even a large company ask you, can you guarantee us there'll be no cyber attacks next year? I, we just think that's really funny because it's almost like saying, can you tell us and make sure that we get some rain this spring? You, you can't immune yourself from cyber attacks altogether. The best that you could do is to understand the risks and to implement measures that best insulate you from those risks. As much as the individual can try to implement a secure online space, there's only so much they can do to protect themselves. And so that's on the company. They need to be doing these things. That can't be completely on the victim because they're not with the same knowledge. It's a power difference between the two. 
We've spoken about when an individual like Sanjay finds themselves victim to a cyber attack. But what happens when it's an employee within a company who's clicked on an email or a link and unknowingly opens the door to the attackers? Often when an employee finds out that maybe they were the ones who clicked on a phishing attack, or maybe they were the ones at four o'clock in the afternoon didn't check and skipped one element before they put an invoice forward, they feel really guilty. And what also happens is often supervisors, because they're so upset that they've lost some money within the organization, they take the blame and the rage out on someone else. And emotions ride high, people tend to say and do and act out in ways that they wouldn't otherwise normally. And so in some instances, we see a deep embarrassment. So sometimes they won't contact an appropriate Um, authority or an organization to assist them with the attack out of embarrassment. Sometimes they might scapegoat uh, an employee or a subsector or division of employees within a company for not having done enough to prevent the attack. And so you see a real mixture um, all across the board in terms of blame. These attacks are smart. Often the malicious software will run in the background or the attackers are monitoring communications quietly gathering information before launching an attack. Well, you could be the smartest person in the world. You're not, you know, like there's only so much a human brain can digest in a day. And so criminals will prey upon that, right? In the end, Alana says everyone, whether you're an individual or a business, should be prepared. And that's why the most important thing you can do tomorrow, no matter who you are, is to develop a cyber incident plan and then to practice it. And your cyber incident plan can be as short as, who is it that you contact if you get hit by something? Another way you can protect yourself is with cyber insurance. I have cyber insurance now, but you know, your average incident is going to run you a minimum of $50,000 to clean it up, minimum. So you want to do the things to prevent. And cyber insurance is still key to that. There's a lot of pressure for companies to protect their clients, but how are governments protecting people? As the number of ransomware attacks continue to grow, Alana says this has become a key priority for the Australian government. Australia's woken up and there's lots of money for initiatives to finally um, help secure small, medium enterprises. But there's just such a long way to go. In episode two, we spoke with former Australian Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull about what the Australian government was doing to protect people from cyber attacks. One way is by identifying essential infrastructures and placing stronger regulations on their cybersecurity measures. So there's like an awareness that people need to do something, but not necessarily anything that's activated them to start to implement these things. Realistically though, Putting your data security in the hands of anyone else is risky. Doing everything you can to protect yourself is critical. So what can individuals do to better protect themselves, both in their personal life and at work? Alana says the most important thing to do, in her opinion, is go online and activate multi-factor authentication across every platform you use. Depending on the attack, 80 to 90% of these attacks can be invented through multi factor authentication. All you need to do is to go home tonight, go onto the Instagram page and type it in. And 
after 15 minutes, you can turn it on because let's be honest, most people have really terrible passwords that honestly an algorithm can decrypt in, in less than two seconds flat because the machine learning does it for it at the speed of light. So you need a strong password. And then the multi-factors the following. Every time you sign on, you get a text with a unique code and then you plug that code in. It's actually really hard for a cyber criminal to be able to correct that. Okay, it's not easy. And they're, they're far more inclined as an economic model to go after people who don't use multi-factor authentication. Why? Because it's just easier, right? They make more money with the most amount of people they compromise, not by spending four weeks trying to compromise you. The second thing to do is turn on your auto-updates. So for me, the thing I like about the Apple is that it doesn't ask me to update. It assumes I'm stupid as a human and I won't update it. So it updates it for me every night. And that's how all products should come, in my opinion. But the reality is most products come where you have to enable the automatic update. And people don't know this, right? So going home tonight, just make sure you back up important information to somewhere else. Turn on the automatic update for everything. And, you know, set aside 20 minutes a week to learn something more about cybersecurity. But even if you think you're being smart with your security, like in Sanjay's case, you can still fall victim. I'd always been pretty pretty good on that side in terms of taking precautions. I'd had, you know, two-factor authentication. I was one of those people who changed my passwords for everything, you know, monthly. And I've always thought, yeah, that wouldn't happen to me. But part of me wants to say yes, because of what's happened, that I would never again have something like this happen to me. But realistically, everyday passwords are compromised. And I think most people, if they went and did a security check, and there are sites where you can legitimately check whether your passwords have been compromised online. I would be shocked if people didn't have their passwords floating around somewhere on the internet. When I sign up to a website, I'm trusting the company to protect my data, and sometimes they do get hacked. Sanjay says the biggest piece of advice he'd give to others would be to just pick up the phone. The obvious one is to, you know, before you send anything yourself, just make the call, even though everything is done in a digital world now, and we all, you know, in our jobs, in our personal lives, we all typically action on the back of emails or messages and whatever it may be. That's just how the world runs nowadays. If you are going to go through a process like this and you are transferring a mouse of that, of that uh, size, then yeah, maybe you just do insert that additional layer of security to pick up the phone. What can you do? As a homeowner, well, just everything you have put up automatic updates. But the reality is that until we start making these companies have to have security features turned on in their devices and think about it, it's not going to change. Because the onus can't be on the individual. It has to come down to the people in charge with producing the devices that we use on a daily basis. And that was the final episode for our second season. My thanks to my guests, Sanjay Joseph and Dr. Alana Murashash. I'm Katie Finlayson, and this is Hackable Me. Find the full series on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Hackable Me was produced by Just Global and Audiocraft. Music is from Epidemic Sound. Find out more about how you can protect yourself and your organisation from cyber attacks. Visit proofpoint.com slash hackableme.